It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm Chris Chavez, and this is my show where I get the chance to chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. We are still riding the high of the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials and all of the fun events that we had with Hoka while in Orlando. The coverage does not stop there. We will be bringing you interviews with some of the top competitors and the newly minted Olympians on the Sidious Mag Podcast, and it all starts with this episode. A quick thanks to anyone who has taken the time to leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. A few of my favorite shows give their listeners a shout-out when they leave a review, so I wanted to start doing that at the top of each show as well. If you want yours to be read, leave us a five-star review and let us know why you love this podcast. This week's review comes to us from Apple Podcasts in Italy. Listener Margarita underscore P wrote, must listen for running and track nerds finally a place where fans can nerd out together about the best sport in the world track and field great swag and community events too athletics is cool again thanks for the review margarita we want to hear more from all of you we're keeping it rolling on this show more to come my guest for today's episode is american record holder emily sisson who finished second in this year's u.s olympic marathon trials in 222 42 She's a recurring guest on his podcast, and we always get a good recap episode after a major performance. She finished behind Fiona O'Keefe and ahead of Dakota Lindworm, and that is your team for the Paris Olympic Games. In this episode, we recap Emily's race and how she overcame some struggles of her own, yet kept her composure to qualify for her second Olympics. This will be the first time that she runs the marathon at the Games. She shares some insights into covering key moves during the race, a little bit of strategy talk with Kira D'Amato beforehand, and a bit on the sisterhood of American women's marathoning greats. Without further ado, welcome back, Emily Sisson. And now we welcome on fan favorite Emily Sisson after making yet another Olympic team. I love doing marathon recap episodes with you. This time around, like you're not, you're just back in Providence. Usually you're in a nice warm weather climate. How, how you know, now that you've had a couple days to process things, how's the body feeling? How are the spirits? And, and no vacation? Yeah, not yet. We are, we're thinking of planning one. It's funny. We were gone for three months, so we actually just wanted to get back to Providence. And I was texting my friends the last few weeks, and I was like, I really miss Providence, guys. Like, all my friends that are here. And they're like, no, you don't. It's so cold here right now. Like, you're in Arizona. You're in Florida. <laughs> like, you just stay there. Uh, but I actually really did miss it. So I'm happy to be back. And we're going to stay put for a little bit, but we are planning a long weekend. I think we're going to go to Miami to visit some friends next month. So that'll be a little vacation, and we'll take a longer one after Paris. All right. There we go. No. So yeah. I guess like comparatively to some of these past marathons, like, yeah, I'm sure an all out effort to break the American record leaves your body wrecked. This one, like, I feel like it was a, probably a different kind of, you know, pain and soreness immediately after the fact, just because of like the conditions. How did this one compare to other past marathons? Every marathon has its own story. So I feel, so I feel like I've come out of them and gone into them completely, uh, 
like a little different. So uh, this one, I actually like I feel like good apart from just having the sore quads, like I said. And I found the conditions actually like I know it was warm, but I didn't feel like they affected me that much. I felt like, yeah, I, I felt like I handled the heat well. So that I was happy about that. Um, and yeah, different marathons, like there's been some marathons where like uh, my debut, I actually like injured myself 15 minutes before the start of it. So coming out of that, I like was dealing with that injury. And then, uh, in Chicago, when I set the record, I actually came out of that one pretty well too, but like, they've all been different. So every marathon has been just its own unique experience and story. So, uh, I will never assume I know it all when it comes to the marathon. <laughs> For this one in particular, I guess, like you spent three weeks in Florida in the lead up to that. How crucial was that in terms of like the preparation to get ready for the conditions? You know, you were a big proponent for moving that start time. I remember leaving the Airbnb at like 8 a.m. and being like, oh, this is perfect. Like, why didn't yeah. they run the race at this time? And no, we knew it was going to be hot. But for you, you, <laughs> you actually did alter your training to, you know, try and acclimate. So yep. how did that, you know, work to your advantage? I... I am really thankful that uh, Orlando moved it to 10. I think if it started at noon, it would have been completely different. There would have been, yeah, it would have been a lot harder on a lot more people. So I was happy they moved it forward. 8 a.m. actually was cold. I had like a puffy winter jacket in the warmth area. And I was like, I feel like this looks dramatic, but it's like it's cold in the shade right now. <laughs> so uh, it was in the 40s, I think, that night. But um, but yeah, so what did I do to prepare for the heat? Well, we went to Phoenix for the first six weeks of training, we were debating, do we just go to Florida for the whole thing? Or do we go somewhere that I'm familiar with training? And we decided because it was such a big, important race, we're like, well, let's not go spend 12 weeks somewhere that we've never trained before. Like, just in case, like, you, you never know, you just don't know where to run or where to get treatment or, um, or any of that really. So we went to Phoenix first and I focused on really when I was there, just getting us fit, like getting fit and um, getting strong and getting the fitness up. So I was advised when I talked to a few, um, I guess, experts <laughs> about heat training with what to do. They all told me, don't do your workouts in the heat of the day. Just do your workouts when you normally do your workouts because you need to be fit to make a U.S. Olympic team. And I was like, that makes sense. So, so I did all my workouts at like 9, 9.30, just normal workout time. But they said on my recovery days, they're like, sleep in, just go later, start start closer to the heat of the day or just start like your first one run later. So you're finishing closer to noon or something. Uh, so that's actually really all I did in Phoenix. I just slept in. Um, I wore on most of my runs, I wore a long sleeve and part of it was, I thought, well, maybe like that'll help. <laughs> but the like part of me was also like, I didn't like my skin being in the sun so much. <laughs> so um, I just wanted an extra layer of protection. So when we got to Florida, I decided to, on the cold days or the days it wasn't super hot, I'd actually wear like a windbreaker or something that was like uh, loose so that I could create like a bit of a sweat going. And on the days that it was humid and hot, I just wouldn't do a thing. I would just go run in the weather. So that was about it. I tried, I tried training the gut, which is something they talk about. Um, when you're running a hot marathon, you're going to be drinking more uh, to replace your sweat loss. But I, I don't think that actually went so well. So I need to go back uh, to the drawing board on that one. <laughs> so that's all I did though. I didn't do anything, um, extra, uh, uh, any more than that. Did this one feel a little bit different because I, I know like Ray Tracy 
old school coach, like has been doing it for, you know, decades that he knows what works. But from my conversations with so many of these other pro runners leading up to the race, there was just like a whole nother science element that was dialed in. It was like going to, you know, learn more about like the heat training or anything like that. Did you and Ray have any sort of specific alterations or conversations about like, Hey, let's experiment with this. Or was it just sort of like, I mean, that approach that you described seems just fairly like you could have done that yeah. in like the early 2000s there wasn't anything yeah. all that revolutionary ray thought i didn't need to do anything he's like you're good in the heat don't worry about it <laughs> and i was like okay well i'm gonna maybe prepare a little bit more so i did uh reach out to usatf um uh and i talked to some uh i talked to some experts that work at the usopc and just reached out and got their opinion and there was more that i could have done but i didn't want to really i didn't want to overthink it so they did offer to fly me to Colorado Springs to do the actual sweat rate testing uh, on a treadmill. And it just seemed a bit, uh, that seemed like it just a bit too much with everything else we had going on. So they helped me come up with this plan and uh, yeah, I felt good about it. So um, yeah, really thankful for their help with it. But yeah, Ray was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll do just a little bit of homework, but, um, but he was right. So yeah. When we get to Orlando and it's, you know, the days leading up to the race, how different did this feel compared to, you know, I guess you've tried and buried like the ghosts of Atlanta and just like what that was like four years ago, but getting ready for this marathon. Now you've had enough under your belt where you go to these major marathons and yes, like there are parts of it where it's your job to do sponsorship obligations and make yep. appearance appearances and you know, whatever it might be, the you you get in your shakeout run, you have to go to the press conference. And with the trials, they really kind of dialed it down for these pros where it was just sort of, okay, press conference. And it was super short. Like there wasn't that much like hanging around. And so a major marathon compared to the Olympic trials, what are those pre-race moments? You know, how are they different? I, I actually wouldn't say it's too different than uh, my, like when I go to Chicago, I feel like I don't have that many commitments, New York, you generally have a few more, um, London, I had none, which was awesome. <laughs> so that was really nice. Uh, but yeah, I actually didn't think it was too different than the, what I had to do pre-race in Chicago. The biggest difference is it just, it is a little bit more, it's more intense. There's more pressure. I, I was saying the shame going into it. It's, it just feels very black and white with the trials it's you know top three or or not whereas in any other major marathon there's like more room like for nuance you can have a bit of an off day uh like i did in chicago this past fall and still feel like overall pretty good about it and still walk away with some good takeaways um but at the trials it's yeah it just it feels a little bit more um intense for that reason like you just you really hope you're in the you have a good day and things click and you can finish in the top three. But yeah, so I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes from is that. One of the ways Scott Fobble described it before the race was just, he was hoping to find a freedom while racing that he, you know, we do put all this pressure in the sport on the Olympics. And like, <laughs> if you don't make it like your career, yeah, there's just all these positive moments. You can still have a really good career, but the exclamation point, the cherry on top is always like the Olympics. And in 2021, I guess you, you know, or in 2020 after Atlanta, you still had that year to go and get that for yourself. Like was did that pressure of coming in as it, was it from 
being the American record holder, you've already you already have that Olympic title to your name. So how do you describe the pressure that you felt? I really wanted to make this team because it was so special qualifying for Tokyo, the first Olympic team uh, to make. There's, like that will be a special moment forever in my life. Uh, but this did feel different. I I really wanted to qualify in the marathon. That was something I've always dreamt of doing was uh, getting to represent the U.S. at the Olympics in the marathon. And I also wanted a, a little bit more of a normal Olympic experience. So I wanted to go back. I wanted to try to better my performance and I wanted to experience the Olympics kind of how I always imagined the Olympics to be, uh, getting to celebrate with your support team there, getting to have, um, yeah, getting to have a bit more of a normal uh, experience. So that really motivated me throughout this build was that. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I will say though, like during the race, I actually, um, I, I didn't feel great pretty early on. And one of the things I was proud of from um, how I handled it was, uh, I was talking a bit earlier about how it feels so all or nothing, black and white, you make the team or you don't. Um, at mile eight, I actually got another side stitch and my like side started to cramp and clench. And I was like, oh no, like I thought we figured this out. I didn't think this was gonna happen. Um, and I kind of got a little bit down for a minute because I was like, I just, I don't know if this is gonna be my day. But I did, instead of kind of thinking all or nothing, Olympic team or bust, I did just start breaking the race down and start started making all these process goals <laughs> where I was like, okay, like it might not be your day, but let's see like how long you can hang on for. Let's see how long you can, um, no pun intended, gut this out this time <laughs> and stick with it. Uh, let's get to like half marathon and then let's get to 18. And then I just kept making these checkpoints in my head and I kept um, making these little goals to try to, to meet along the way. And so when I finished, I was just elated because early in the race, I actually didn't think it was going to happen. So, um, so yeah, I, I say it's black and white, but I think when you take a step back and if you kind of break it down, that's probably the best way that I can handle uh, something that carries a lot of pressure with it. That those cursed side stitch, like we talked about this in, in October. And I think I even asked, I was like, so how are we going to make sure that it doesn't happen in Orlando? And you were like, it's not going to happen in Orlando. It's it, not happens, happen. it happens at mile eight in the race <laughs> itself. Just sort of like, is it at mile eight that you kind of wake up and you're just like, Oh, we're doing this. Like this is the race. Yeah. But even before that, there had been like a little bit of a breakaway when we sat down with Clayton right after the race, we were kind of going through it. And it's sort of like, there's this massive buildup to this moment. And in those early miles, it's just kind of, you know, everyone getting into position, taking, you know, a, it's a temperature check of the rest of the field. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of still not, all right, it's the, the race still hasn't started for you. Yeah. When did, when did that race start? Because there was that early move. And I think it was Kira kind of pressing from the front, you know, to yeah. like, it was an injection of pace and that's sort of when I, I felt like the women's race started much sooner than the men's race. Well, so I knew that was going to happen. So uh, originally Kira and I had planned on trading off the lead every two miles. And we talked about it the day before we were going to do 525 pace because we, we thought 222 would win the race. So we were right about that. <laughs> um, so our goal was to just get it out and get it started. And I asked Ray after the race, why that's why he wanted me to run it that way. And he said, his biggest concern was it starting out slow and getting so bunched that um, it was hard to get to like my bottles. And he's like, I just wanted to make sure you were fueling. So, uh, but oh yeah, I got sidetracked there. 
So basically, I, we were planning on training every two miles. But yeah, around mile eight, I started cramping. Um, so I was like, like, luckily, I actually am really happy that I did Chicago in the fall because I like I learned some things. And if I hadn't, I probably would have been caught off guard and I wouldn't have known what to do. So I, I had to pull back and I was like, Kira and I were supposed to be working together. And I texted her after the race to explain why I had to stop helping. <laughs> but um, pretty much immediately, I just went to the back of the pack and I'm like, all right, relax, like focus on your breathing, um, maybe, like massage your side a bit. And uh, there's one other thing. Oh, yeah, just slow down. Like, that's what I was like, just, just relax. And it actually worked. It eased off. And then eventually, like it wasn't cramping anymore. My side just felt like a little bit tight. And so I feel like if I hadn't done Chicago, uh, I wouldn't have known what to do. <laughs> and uh, and so I think that just kind of validates to me the importance of experience. The more, like, I always felt like the more I do something, like, that's how I typically gain the most confidence is through, I guess, trial and error, <laughs> just experience. And uh, if I hadn't done Chicago, I wouldn't have known to kind of have a plan. I wouldn't have had an experience to draw off, off of. So, um so yeah, I don't know where your question started, but I think it has something to do with cure and the pace. But I did know that, I did know that was going to happen. <laughs> well, all right, and now I need to hear just sort of the the plotting that took place with you yeah. and Kira. When did this conversation take place? We posted that fist bump photo yeah. uh, on Instagram the day before. I mean, had the plan already been set in motion? Uh, it was on stage right there. We just turned <laughs> each other. Yeah, no, um, our coaches actually had talked, so we have the same agent, uh, Ray Flynn. So Ray Flynn was. They, he connected Scott and Ray and, uh, and it was a good plan. Um, unfortunately we both, uh, had to back off of it, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think, um, in the marathon, you have to be prepared for pretty much anything. And, uh, I did text Kira after, and of course she was like unsurprisingly like so nice about it. So, uh, yeah, but maybe in the future we can work together again. We actually, I forgot we had done this, but she was like, yeah, I remember when we worked together at New Haven. And I was like, oh yeah, we did do that a couple of years ago. We like traded off the lead like every mile um, to get the pace going. And I think we both liked that kind of racing style, that kind of aggressive, like hard, like just grinded down. So yeah, I think we just have similar styles. So in the women's race, it felt like, you know, it was bunched up for a while. There was just a, for a while, it was like a pack of six that eventually grew again back to like 10 or 12. And it stayed that way for, it felt like the longest time in talking with the guys, like there's definitely, you know, more of like an ego, you know, confidence thing where it's sort of like, Oh, if this guy goes, we're not going to cover that move or, you know, we're going to cover all moves up until a certain pace. So for you to watch what, when Fiona, I think ultimately starts mm -hmm. to press from the front, what, what's going through your head at that moment? Because it is her first marathon and you're the experienced yeah. vet. So how do you kind of calculate that move? So I remember really like, I tried to stay as relaxed as I could for as long as I could. And I actually like really enjoyed running in the pack. I don't often run in the back of a pack, but I was doing it on Saturday and I was like, why don't I do this more? This is really nice. <laughs> so, um, I, I was really focused from mile like eight to 18 on just focusing on my breathing and just staying relaxed. And as I got closer to mile 18, I remember thinking like, okay, um, like stop thinking about like your side, like it's like, you're good. It's time to race. And it was like right around that time, whoever was in third, uh, I think behind Fiona and Betsy started to like fall off a bit and create a gap. And it was like, right then my like race instincts kicked in. I was like, okay, move around. Like 
latch on a second. And I hung on to, I think, Fiona and Betsy for a bit. I'm trying to remember when Fiona made her move. Was it like mile 19 or 20? I think, I think it's it something around there. Yeah. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. And I remember at the time thinking I had a couple options. I like I knew it was her first marathon. So I was like, there's a good chance she might come back. And I was like, if not, I think I can close over the like last four miles if I just keep her in eyesight. So I decided to just hang back and run with Betsy. But I think Betsy started to hurt. We were, uh, she made a gesture to me at one point where I thought she was like, come help share the lead. But, um, or come help like uh, Real and Fiona. But I think she was actually like hurting, like, like just past me maybe in hindsight. Um, so then I, like, I kept Fiona within eyesight. And around like mile 21, I heard Ray say like last four miles, pick it up. Cause that was kind of our plan all along. And so I get to 22 and I was like, oh, I'm actually very like pretty tired. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I thought I'd be able to just like reel her in. And I don't know if it was like, I did kind of feel like I was starting to like run low on energy. So I didn't know if it was like that or if I was just tired. Um, I was doing the math and I was like, I think like just keep running this pace and the last mile just close. Um, but the last mile felt like the longest mile ever. I was like, I'm so tired. <laughs> and I it was like, uh, I was ready for that finish line. <laughs> so um, yeah, I definitely, like Fiona looked amazing. When I was thinking she might come back, I, yeah, I was wrong on that because she ran that, like it was not her debut. <laughs> she looked like just such a natural out there. So yeah, I think uh, we're sending a good team to Paris. Yeah, she dropped when she dropped at five oh nine. I think at like mile twenty five, it might have been. I was like, oh my gosh! Like yeah. you and her were the only two were like, well, Fiona wasn't slowing down. Even if you were getting a little bit tired, it wasn't as bad as what was happening. I think behind you, because I think yeah, but it was like over such a short period of time, it grew really big. So I was like, okay, I think like I think it, people are slowing down a lot. Um, so just keep running this pace and cause like you can't like to close a 90 second gap. If I keep running the same pace would, yeah, you'd have to be running very, very fast. So, um, so yeah, I, I did know what was going on around behind me. I was aware, but I was also unable to reel in Fiona. So I was just like, okay, just keep running this pace and close that last mile. And who was team Sisson out on the course and like, how often do you have people, to really feed you, you know, intel or instructions on what to do. Like, how did you set that up? I, so I actually only, I probably shouldn't say this. I only heard Shane and Ray, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had my parents, my in-laws, my sister, and I had my best friend and her husband and another friend that drove up from Miami. So I had this huge, huge support team. Um, and I could hear go Emily, but I remember hearing Ray at mile 21 saying to wind it or pick it up the last four miles. So I remember that. And I remember actually talking to Shane earlier in the race at mile eight, we actually talked. He, uh, he was like, go M. And I just like turned to him and I like shook my head. I'm like, I've got another side stitch. And he was like, breathe. <laughs> he just like shouted it over like the crowd. He might've added some swear words, but I'll just keep it at that. <laughs> he was like, and I was like, that's a good idea. I'll just try breathing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, the presenting sponsor of the City of Smack podcast is Olipop. You know we've been pounding Olipop for over a year now. 2023 was a track season to remember, and City of Smack was able to be there for all of the big moments thanks to the incredible support of Olipop. 
What has become known as the runner soda isn't just a great companion for pregame shows or post-race shows, or if you're just watching at home and want to crack a can of Olipop open yourself, it's good for you too. It's a prebiotic soda with 9 grams of fiber, which is 32% of your daily needs, that only has 2-5 to five grams of sugar and helps your digestive health in a way that a threshold workout never could. We love it because there are 15 incredible flavors that will keep your body refreshed and ready to go for the next workout. My current favorite is Lemon Lime. Caitlin Tui's number one flavor is Ginger Lemon. There are other great flavors like Vintage Cola, Tropical Punch, Orange Squeeze, Cherry Vanilla, and I'm hearing rumors of another one coming soon. Sidious Mac podcast listeners get 25% off non-subscription orders by using code Sidious25 at checkout at drinkolipop.com. You can also find Olipop at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Target, Walmart, Publix, and... Most recently, they just got added to Costco, so pro tip there. Next time you're looking for a refreshing and healthy drink after that long run or hard workout, reach for an Olipop. You won't be disappointed. Drinkolipop.com, code Sidious25. Um, when you kind of look back at this race, what are you most proud of, I guess? Was it just not panicking in certain moments? Like it, it yeah. you, you made another Olympic team, and that and that's the that was the ultimate goal, and it was successful. But I guess, like, other than that, what are the benchmarks for success that you have to take away from this race? Yeah, I'm proud of the decisions I made. Um, I'm proud of how I handled uh, handled that early on. Um, yeah, that's actually what I was referencing at, at the end of the race when I, like, looked up at Dina was I was feeling a little low and negative um, around eight miles when I was thinking it wasn't my day. And then I saw her on the lead vehicle and, like, I have her book like, literally right there. Uh, and she talks all about like, you know, having like a positive mindset and when you feel those negative thoughts creeping in, see what you can do to either um, uh, like kind of change, like reframe them or um, turn things around. And it was like when I looked at her, I was like, OK, what would Dina do? And that's like kind of when I snapped into action and tried to I, had, I felt like a lot more positive and upbeat about um, things as things improved along the course. So uh, I'm proud of that, and I'm just proud to make another Olympic team. I don't know how, like, yeah, I don't know how many track and field athletes make a second Olympic team or a third. Or uh, it's just it's so tough. So uh, yeah, I'm just really excited for it, and um, yeah, overall really happy. It's I guess not as often talked about about just sort of like this sisterhood among like the top American marathoners in history and. You've got some epic photos from Chicago and breaking yeah. the record where it's you, Joni and, you know, Kira. And you've been in these circles enough through a variety of different races, whether it's Beach to Beacon or some of these other events. What is sort of that friendship like? And have you had moments along the way where you've turned to them for any sort of advice? Like it's anyone can read Dina's book, but you have her number as well, probably. Yeah, no, I have everyone's number. It's funny. Anytime I get a text, Joni actually texts me, not like all the time, but I do get texts from her. And whenever I get like, she sends the nicest texts and I'm like always blushing. And Shane's like, she, Shane knows he's like, Joni texted you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, um, it, no, it's, it's genuine. And it, it means a lot. I like, I have people I can turn to, to ask questions. And I have like, and even like the people that came before me that I don't know personally that well, I still look up to them and I still admire what they did uh, more now than ever. It's like funny when I was younger, I feel like I was asked all the time, uh, who do you look up to in the sport the most? And I don't know if I actually really had a good answer. And now that I'm like further 
along in my career and a bit older, actually, like, I'm like, oh, I, I actually know, like, who, uh, who I really look up to. And I, I feel like anytime, um, like this past week, if I was like feeling pressure, for example, to perform, I think of, um, I think of Dina, I think of Joni, like Molly, Des, Kara, Shalane, everyone that um, came before me and had been in a similar position. And I'm like, well, they were under a lot of pressure and they were able to get it done. So I'm like, they did it. So I think I can do it too. Uh, and like, I'm, it is helpful when I can ask Molly um, for advice or uh, Des is also just awesome. She's great. I could turn to her and she, yeah, she's very, very generous um, with her time. So yeah, I just feel really supported and I hope someday I can be like that to the next up and coming group. I was going to mention that, like, has it hit you in a way too, that like of this group that we're sending, you're the veteran of, of them. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, yeah. it's gotta be a, a little bit weird. So from you and your experience, you know, you, you haven't even raced either one of them all that much before this too, right? That's the beauty of the marathon is just like how it brings together like a variety yeah. of different talents. Like in the middle of the race, there was a moment where you and Jenny, I think, were like right next to each other. And I was like, oh, when's the last time Jenny and Emily were in a race together? It must have been a while. And then I realized like the only other time was like Houston half that one year and that, that Jenny ran I think oh, yeah. it was like two years ago. And that's like the only time the two of you have raced. And so American women's distance running, you highlighted it in your Instagram post. It's just like at an all time high. How do you kind of describe this talent? Because it's so cool that even <laughs> when the page turns and like we're in this new yeah. era, new chapter, it it's only getting better. It, it really is only getting better. You can see it each like each group. It's getting bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. Uh, when Joan, when it was Joni, it really was just Joni at the top. And then it was Dina. But then after that, like you could tell they paved the way because then it was it was Molly, Des, Shalane, Kara, like all kind of at the same time. And now like our group's gotten even bigger. So it's just uh yeah, like like I am really thankful for for them and yeah, kind of showing showing us the ropes and then I'm sure the next group will be even deeper and <laughs> bigger. Uh so yeah. A lot of you got together in the weeks leading up to uh, the trials at the in the dog park. The dog party. Of all yeah, places. Yeah. Yeah. For, what is yeah. the discussion and chatter there? Because obviously, like, there isn't strategy talk or, or just, like, checking in. Some people's Stravas are public, so you can, you know, see what people yeah. are doing. But, you know, in that setting, are you talking about the race? Like, what, do, what else do you guys have to talk so, about? You know, it's funny. That was actually a pretty successful dog party because <laughs> D Dakota and I were both there. I only – so I only caught the end of it, like, the very end. Uh, Shane was there earlier with our dogs, but then I came – like, he had left and I came. Um and then, yeah, Des just ran like she always does. Des ran great. Annie Frisbee had a good day. Um, I'm trying to think who else was there. That yeah, it, it was successful. So come to our dog party if you want to run run well. Des uh, organizes it. Um, but yeah, no, I actually I only really was there briefly because Des and I ended up doing a run together from it, an evening run. So I didn't actually get to talk too much or too long. We just kind of talked about it, like just gotta meet all the dogs. <laughs> but. Uh, but I don't know. I remember running with Des that evening and uh, yeah, it just kind of like, for the most part, like we were just talking about like, I don't know, not running related stuff. And then towards the end, uh, I actually was just picking her brain a bit on things and uh, yeah, felt really lucky that she was willing to give advice and uh, help me with some of that. 
Love that. So you've got a little vacation planned, but when yeah. does preparation, I guess, for the Paris Olympics start? And it's it's a hilly course. It is. It's a different it I think all hilly courses or hilly courses can be kind of different. Um and this one is like a really, really, really big hill. <laughs> so uh that you go up and then like so it's actually pretty flat for I want to say like the first 10 to 15k. And then you basically go up this huge hill and you come down it a little bit and then go up it a little bit more and then you come down the big hill. Um, but then it's flat, I think, again, for like 10 to 15K to the finish. So I actually, I, I need to start looking into it now. I didn't obviously want to think about it too much beforehand, but um, we're to find something that can be similar in New England. But I do think I will start the build up in Flagstaff or not the build up. I'll start the pre build up. I want to go there for a month before I start actually marathon training. And I can definitely find something that um, is similar to that course there. I just don't know how hard I'll be training uh, while I'm in Flagstaff, but I want to do that, come down and then do the rest of the build at sea level. So um, if anyone in New England knows of any good hills, uh, let me know. <laughs> definitely. Um... This is, I guess, like an interesting one is because Tokyo was so protected because of COVID, mm -hmm. you have a tough decision to make when it comes to just like, oh, being there for the opening ceremonies and like in the yeah. village for a long time. I know you've been so dialed in and focused on the trials, but that thought must have also like crept. It was like, oh, you, you there's so many other things aside from the race that the Olympics brings. And it's like to sacrifice some of that for to focus on performance it's it's a, a tricky balance it is yeah i i remember last year actually or not last year it feels like last year i remember the last olympics um in tokyo people were telling me that not everyone stays in the village and i was like oh, i didn't realize that uh but the village like by the time i got to tokyo like a lot of people had already left so it actually wasn't that crazy um i think you were only allowed to stay in Tokyo for 40, no, 24 hours, 48 hours after you last competed. And then you had to leave. So I got there like the second half. And so a bunch of people had already left and uh, the people that were still there, everyone's like, oh, it actually, it's normally very different than this. Uh, usually some people will come in, stay here for a couple of days and then leave and get a hotel. Uh, so I actually, I have no idea. I, I'll talk to Ray, I'll talk to Molly um, about her experience. But yeah, I don't know. That's stuff we have to figure out, but I didn't want to, yeah, I hadn't thought about this at all. It's only been a couple of days since the race. So I, uh, I'll get around to planning all this. <laughs> I loved how, before we started recording, he, it really did show how focused you've been on Orlando when I was like throwing out something about Milrose games and the Super yeah. Bowl. And you're like, I didn't even know the Super Bowl was this weekend. <laughs> It's the weirdest feeling. I It is kind of like this with every marathon, but especially like this with the Olympic uh, Olympic trials, uh, your life doesn't really go past race day. So even if I'm doing like Chicago or something, it kind of feels like that. Like whatever race day is, I can only see my life up until that day. <laughs> and with the Olympic trials, it's uh, like that, but times 10. So, so yeah, we hadn't planned anything. I, I could, it was really weird. The last few months of my life, I could only see up to February 3rd, right? Is that the yeah. day? Yeah. And so now it's like the other side of that. I'm just like, whoa, got like all this stuff I have to figure out. I've got the rest of my life, like life goes on. So um, it is kind of a weird feeling. I don't know if other marathoners feel that way, but that's how it's always felt to me. And I don't know why, but other distances and events never felt like that before. 
was there anything in particular that you sacrificed for the entire build up for this one that you're like, oh, like I gave up chocolate for the build and I haven't had that. Now I, I'll get to enjoy that for a bit. Or I don't know, was there any sort of indulgence? The one thing I'm looking forward to that we were cautious about as the race got closer was we just stopped like doing like lots of stuff, like with lots of friends, like especially around the holidays. Like it's, I, I feel like it's tough because like our build is in like the cold and flu season. So, um, so I spent Christmas, no Thanksgiving with my family and we had some friends over for new year's, but for the most part, like if we were meeting up with friends, we were just like, it was almost like living like back in kind of 2020, uh, we'd like go to restaurants outside and, uh, and yeah, just do like smaller meetups, like at our, we just have people over at our Airbnb or something. So I'm just looking forward to like getting to hang out with my friends and family and just not have to live in a bubble. So, uh, that I think is the hardest part. Um, we only really did that for like the month before once it got to like new year's we were like okay it's like kind of gotta put yourself in bubble wrap <laughs> yeah um all right final question i've got for you emily is for the people who are listening to this and obviously like olympic dreams are something that only happen to a very small population of people but what is sort of like the advice that you have for those who are chasing like big dreams like this and like yeah you've now hit it twice like this is your second olympics that you get to go to but what makes this one feel different and what was i guess the biggest learning from the past four years i think we might have talked about this already but it, it does feel different and that it's a completely different event from the last olympics and it's going to be a completely different experience uh with it being yeah taking place now and uh get to have my family and friends come out and get a, um, yeah, actually have a roommate in, uh, in Tokyo. Uh, Rachel Schneider was, uh, Smith was my roommate in Tokyo, but she had to leave before I got there. And, um, yeah, so I think just looking forward to having like that experience and getting to try, uh, try to better my last performance at the Olympics. Um, I'm hoping I can show up healthy this time because that, uh, that took up a lot of time and energy when I was there. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to, sh I, I don't know. I'm just excited about all this, I guess. I think I'm kind of, uh, getting distracted, but yeah, I'm excited for another chance at it, another shot to line up with the best in the world and, uh, excited just yeah to be back there. Cause you never know like how many chances you get to represent you at like the U S at, um, um, on the global stage. Like, I feel like I've been really, really fortunate in my career and I've gotten a lot of really cool opportunities, but still like, they're just like like they don't happen often. So, um, I try to really savor the moments when something big happens and when I qualify for, um, a team and just really take advantage of the opportunity. And what have I learned most over the last four years? I feel like I've learned that I'll never like know it all. So just keep learning, like keep trying to, um, figure out what works for me, but not get like, um, yeah, just like have an open mind, I guess. I feel like I'm constantly learning about the marathon and about uh, like my training and uh, what really works and clicks for me. And um, and yeah, just like kind of embracing that part. I guess that's the process. So yeah, embracing the, the, embracing the process. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Final thing was plug in your shoe sponsor here. Friends oh, yeah. of the program, New Balance. Uh, you went with the the pacer, right, for your race? Yes. New Balance pacer, which actually uh, they're releasing it. It's uh, they're releasing its like latest um, 
why, why can I think of the term? The next level up of it. The yeah. next model, yeah. <laughs> Coming out uh, at the end of this year, I think it's in the fall. And uh, I'm actually really excited to try it. I'm going to try it now uh, that the Olympic trials are over. So I've been racing in the Pacer and I love it. And I, I do think if anyone else out there is like me and they prefer a slightly lower stack height, uh, it, I think it's a really good option. If you don't like want to have a lower stack height for a marathon, I think it's an amazing shoe for 10Ks and half marathons. So uh, I like I like the lower stack heights, but I um, so yeah, I think it's a really good option for anyone that wants to try that. The SC Elite Four, which was the <laughs> shoe on my feet that broke three hours in the marathon in Houston. Congratulations! No, no other shoe was able to do that. Uh, that didn't sway your decision in the last couple of weeks. Be like, oh, you know what? It, it might break an American record again. In the, I in... <laughs> nearly decided to completely change my plan. Yeah, so. <laughs> almost (laughs) almost emily i appreciate you doing this and i'm super excited you know to follow along in in your build up to uh the paris olympics and keep the reels coming your your workout reels and and, and all that stuff a plus quality content like i've got multiple teammates of mine who send them and they're like why does her form look so perfect and i was like well that's just emily (laughs) Well, the whole point of that, so my husband actually, it was intentional. We were trying to take a lot more videos of this build because we're like, we're going to figure out what broke down and caused the side stitch. So like every workout, he got a video and um, my chiropractor, John Ball, would take a look and he was like, you look great. Everything looks good. <laughs> You're like, nothing's going to break down. Um, anyway, yeah. So like I said, keep, uh, keep learning. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to this episode. This episode was produced by Jasmine Fair. I love doing this for you guys, so please do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that helps us grow the show and get even more awesome guests. Let me know what you're enjoying about the show. Make sure you're subscribed or following on your favorite podcast players. Please share this episode with your friends if you think that they'll get any value or inspiration out of it. Let's build this thing together. Visit SidiousMag.com for a lot more. We've got a brand new website with tons more articles, videos, and podcasts. As always, I love track and field. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.